0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church, Doncaster, in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Put your hands up again if you said you prayed regularly. And now keep them up if your prayer life is so wonderful it just couldn't get any better. <laughs> Not quite so many, is it? Let me ask you a different question. Have you ever been to a Bible week or a conference and been in one of those great times of worship where God felt so close He was tangible, and that you could just reach out and touch him. Have you ever been to one of those? Yeah. How would you like to experience the presence of God like that every day in your prayer life? Wouldn't it be great? I mean, we were getting there this morning. I don't know what you felt, but when you said to me, am I all right, that's what it was. I was just thinking, actually, thank you, Johanna, you led us into a wonderful time of worship this morning. And sometimes you're just without words for a while. Well, the good news is, it is possible to have a prayer life that brings you before God like that every day. Because I believe that although God has a distinct anointing when we meet together in praise and worship, He's actually there for us and has an anointing for us day by day, minute by minute, as we meet with Him personally. Do you want to live for Jesus? Do you want to meet Him every day? I do. And over the next few times I preach, I want us to go on a journey together. A journey of prayer. When we started the church plant here in Doncaster, one of the prophecies we had, I think it was probably at the very first prayer meeting in Leeds, that we were around for. It was that the church here would be built on a foundation of prophecy and prayer. And today, I want to talk about the pleasure of prayer. Now sadly, for some people, even using the words prayer and pleasure in the same sentence will begin to give something of a contradiction. And that's because many people see prayer as a duty, something we must do, something we ought to do. And the trouble is, it's like anything else. It's like the washing up, then. Anything that we do out of a sense of duty doesn't have much pleasure in it. Traditionally, evangelicals have tended to major on do this, And don't do that. A list of rules and regulations. And this has given us a mindset that God wants us to do what is right. Not what is fun. But actually, the biblical perspective on life would be different. We are called to pursue pleasure. Pleasure. What we have to be careful of, though, is that the delight that we pursue is a delight in God and not in sin. But we were created to enjoy pleasure. If it wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't enjoy it, would we? We need to learn to delight in God. And do you know what? The more you learn to delight in God, the more it stops you finding delight in things that aren't good for us. So we need to remember what prayer is really about. We're not forced to pray. But actually, when we're born again, we have something, we inherit something. And it's an innate desire to do that. To pray, to live in communication with our Father. What is prayer? What is prayer? Yeah. The only thing I'd add to that is it's a two-way conversation. We, we talk and we listen. Paul youngie Joe, who leaves one of the biggest churches in the world, was asked The Secret of His Successful Ministry. And he summed it up with a very short phrase. He said, I pray and I obey. And it's simple. For him, prayer is a two-way communication progress. And then, when we look at who our God is, who we are praying to... I mean, who is he? He is awesome, he's lovely, he's perfect, he's righteous, he's holy, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's our creator. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. There is nothing he cannot do. There is nothing he cannot change. And he loves me. He is my father. Why wouldn't I want to spend time with him? But being realistic for a moment, we have to just recognise this isn't the place that we usually start off at. Prayer, Prayer being a pleasure is not the normal starting point in our Christian lives. We start off at an altogether lower level. And I think there's three levels of prayer. when you become born again you hit level one you have a desire for prayer we know somehow deep down inside that we want to pray we know it will do us good we have that desire and that desire is in us all a desire to know God and be known by him And I think it's there inside non-believers as well. They just don't recognise it in the same way. And that's what drives them to look at new age things. To go seeking the world in crystals and drugs and meditation. Our hearts cry out and ache for something. Something that can only actually be met by God. And so, that's the place our conversation has to start, by us just recognising that desire that is in us. So the first key, the first stage to a successful prayer life is finding the desire to pray. God's given us the desire, or the ability to desire all sorts of things. You might desire a new TV. You might have hobbies. There might be possessions you desire. You might enjoy watching sport. And do you know, what the strange thing is, when you find your desire for something, you find you have the time for it as well. Sometimes we find the time for things that we desire, even when it means we don't have the time to do things we ought to be doing. But let's be honest. For the things we think are important in our life, we find the time. For those with season tickets to Doncaster Rovers, they won't miss many matches. They'll set that, side, that time aside simply simply because it's something too important to be missed so the first step is we need to find and develop our desire to get to know God and as we find and develop that desire we'll find that we have a passion we actually have a passion that we want to pray and then we can move on to the second level I believe the second level is discipline. Now don't be put off by that word. Okay? The word is discipline. It's not discipline! It's a good thing. And without it, we don't achieve anything you know, nobody actually achieves very much in life without a certain level of discipline. Sportsmen have to train. Students have to study. It all requires discipline. Without discipline, desire purely leads to frustration. There will be things that we want, but which we never achieve. But when that desire kicks in, and when we become disciplined, we can learn how to do the very things we desire. And you know, there's something here I think we have to learn from our brothers and sisters in the Catholic tradition. Now, it's 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 an unusual Sunday, because we've had responsive prayers, uh, and I've come to church with a rosary. Now don't get me wrong, I don't want you to hear from this that I think we should be praying through the rosary. But I just want to use it as an illustration of how disciplined they are. Now, in their discipline, unfortunately, they lose liberty. But actually, I've just had a look at what they pray through in the discipline, you know, in the rosary. And it is their dedication to it. Their determination that I think we need to learn because do you know to pray through this rosary you start off by reciting the Apostles Creed you then pray the Lord's Prayer and you give three Hail Marys you pray the Lord's Prayer again Okay? And then, as you work round, for each of those sections, you say ten Hail Marys, followed by the Lord's Prayer. And each time you get to the Lord's Prayer, there is a meditation that you do as well. And the meditation that you do depends on which day of the week it is. Okay? It's not straightforward, I'll give you that. But by the time you've got to the end, and come round and get back to here... You've actually recited the Apostles' Creed once, the Lord's Prayer six times, and you've said 53 Hail Marys. You've also meditated on five truths, and then you've concluded with two other prayers. Now, I just did a conservative estimate of how long that takes. And I reckon, unless you were going for the Vatican speed record, I reckon that would take you 20 to 30 minutes. Now, don't don't hear me wrong on this. I'm not advocating that we get in to repeating set prayers... Particularly the danger of doing it without engaging your mind or your spirit. But how much better would our prayer life be if we were spending 20 to 30 meaningful minutes in prayer once or more a day? And that's the challenge. That's the challenge. This is what I'm holding it up as. These people are so disciplined in wanting to meet their desire to get to know God that they will spend that time. And the good news is, you can become disciplined in an area that you're not at the moment. There is hope. It's often quoted... If you do something for 30 days, it will become a habit. Management experts rely on that. Behavioural therapists rely on that sort of stuff. If you do something for long enough, regularly, it becomes a habit. Now, some of us have bad habits we need to break. But equally, there are good habits in our life we need to start making. And the good news is, you can bring good things to your life in terms of practice and order by doing it and doing it regularly. You can train yourself to become more responsive to the Holy Spirit, to become more sensitive to him, rather than responding to the desires of your body and your mind. So we've gone through two levels. We've looked at, you start off with a desire. You need to add some discipline. But then I think you hit the third level of prayer, which is when it starts to become a delight. Now you'll notice i good evangelical this morning, they all start with the letter D. Okay, Desire, discipline, delight. When you become disciplined... You start praying about things, almost as a reflex action. It's the first thing you do. Because you've built up your relationship with God, your natural reaction when you hit challenges during the day is to turn to him. Now that doesn't happen overnight. It requires that training of your mind and your spirit. But when it does, that's when prayer hits the third level and it starts to become a delight in your life. The good news, God wants us to move from desire to delight. We read in Luke 11, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. How many of us know what we should be praying? How many of us find it a struggle? Do you know, it isn't easy to do something when you don't know how to do it. And so what we're going to start looking at... It's a how-to guide. Now you see, I believe when the disciples asked him that question, they had seen something in Jesus' life. What I think they'd seen was that strong connection between his prayer life and what, for want of a better phrase, you could call his power life. And by asking him to teach them to pray, they were saying, come on, give us your secret. What is it that keeps you going? What is it that you've built your ministry on? And I think there are three things that we really need to get hold of if we're going to be disciplined in prayer. And they are we need to find the time to pray. We need to find the place to pray. And thirdly, we need to find the way to pray. So the time. Time matters. Time matters. We do with our time what we feel is important. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He was talking about treasure. We often think of that as money, but we could put our time in there. Where we spend our time, is that that's where our heart is. Our time, for many of us, is more valuable than money. How many of us have so much free time that we don't know what to do with it? We live in the busiest society ever. We live in urban environments with longer working hours. It can be difficult to find the time to pray. And so as we look at Scripture, we have to apply it to the context we live in. But nonetheless, it is an eternal truth. So let's look at some things. In Mark 1, talking about Jesus, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark... Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Sorry, that's Mark 1.34. This was at the start of his ministry. And that's what Jesus did. Now let me just let me just reassure you, it doesn't say he did that every day. In fact, if you read on a couple of verses, you'll find the disciples went searching for him. And the fact they went searching for him does tend to suggest that he didn't do it every day. It's not what they were used to him doing. But what it shows is, this is something he did. He went off to a solitary place and he prayed early in the morning. In Matthew 14, 23, we read... After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So evening's come. He's had a full day. If you read the scripture, he's been busy all day. And then evening comes. And then he goes on to say in verse 25, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. The fourth watch would have been somewhere between 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. So this is the early hours of the morning. He'd gone up in the mountain during the evening, and it seems like he'd spent the evening up there through to the early hours of the morning in prayer. When we look at the timing of this passage, we notice as well this didn't come at a time when Jesus was taking a break. He hadn't just had three months off on the sabbatical. He wasn't hitting a high because, you know, he'd just come back from a holiday. But he felt he needed that amount of time to get back in touch with God. If you look back a few verses, you'll find this happened immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon the feeding of the 5,000 the teaching, the ministry to those people would have been physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausting. He just spent several days teaching. He performed this miracle, but then rather than go off somewhere quiet to sleep, he does something that's absolutely contrary to what his body was probably telling him to do. He goes and spends several hours praying with his father. And then what does he do? He does probably the second most famous miracle. He walks on the water. He walks out to meet the disciples. And I think there's a direct connection between Jesus' prayer life and his public ministry the impression you start to get when you read the scripture looking at his prayer life is he went from one place of prayer to another doing the works of the Father in between and I think there could be a similar connection between our prayer life and our ministry whether we're talking about at work, at home or in and amongst the church in fact I'm sure there is If we want to be a people who move in God's power, we need to be a people devoted to prayer. We need to move from having the desire to pray through discipline to delight. The church will be built on a foundation of prophecy and prayer. If we look at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth... He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's facing one of the most difficult times of his life. And he goes to his regular place of prayer. A place where he is very comfortable. And he wrestles and he prays. Father, not my will be done, but yours. Aren't you glad that Jesus knew how to wrestle with God in prayer? I am. Because if he hadn't done that, would he have chosen to go to the cross on my behalf? On the cross, hanging there in agony, he continues to pray. Father, forgive them. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Underneath the whole life and ministry of Jesus there was a prayer life that underpinned everything else. Now we won't ever get to that level of relationship with God. But somehow In the midst of our busy lives, we've got to get to grips with this. Now, to be practical, some of us aren't early birds, some of us are night owls. And the thought of getting up early and praying for an hour might well kill us. I fall in that category. The thought of doing it at midnight is altogether different from the thought of doing it at six in the morning. But what I just want to encourage you is actually spend just five or ten minutes to commit your day to God. Get filled up before you start so that you can flow in the spirit during the day. And then if necessary, if five or ten minutes is all you can do in the morning, set aside some time later for some more concentrated prayer. Set aside time in the evening or on a Saturday morning. Find a time that will work for you. When we were living in Southampton, I went through a period when I was actually working in Portsmouth, about 30, 35 miles away. And so every morning I had a 20, 25 minute journey each direction. I used to put on a CD in the car and I'd have some great times. I'd do it on the way, and I'd do it on the way back as well. Actually, I think looking back on those days, my prayer life was probably at the highest point it ever was. Because I found a time that worked. And in some ways, I miss those 25-minute journeys now that it takes me three minutes to get into the town on the days I go to work. Can you use journey times? Can you use lunch time? Can you put on a CD and go for it while you're doing the ironing? That's not recommended for men, by the way. If you're currently surviving on two minutes a day, why not just try and double it? If you're struggling to find the time, think, when could I put aside time to spend with God? Because time matters the second thing that matters is location estate agents are telling that all the time aren't they you've only got to watch the programs on the TV or talk to Jackie and they'll tell you it's location, location, location if your house was somewhere else in the country it would be worth considerably more or less do you know most people find there are some places they can meet more easily with God than others. And it's often a matter of simple practicality. If you're going to pray in the early hours of the morning, where can you do it that you won't disturb the rest of your family? Because prayer isn't always quiet. For some, being outside, looking at the beauty of creation actually unlocks something inside them and they find it easier to pray. We need to be creative about where we pray. Others are naturally more contemplative and prefer to be on their own. Why not use the car, park up somewhere and go and pray? Now me, I like to walk up and down. I pray at my best when I'm walking. You may have noticed that in prayer meetings, particularly if we're sat down, I get restless. I I, I want to be on my feet. Because sitting down makes me feel passive. And I don't want to be passive in my prayer life. I need the space to walk around. But find somewhere that works for you. And do you know what? If you use somewhere that works for you regularly, actually, everything about it starts to prepare you for meeting with God. Once in a while, when I need to get my head round things, I go over to Chesterfield, to the edge of the Peak District, and I've got a couple of places there where I park up and go for a walk and actually spend some really good time with God. I know they're places that are fairly quiet, And what I've found now is, as I drive over to Chesterfield, something in me starts to get ready. By the time I get there, I'm ready to meet with God. Somehow it's easier to pray because I know where I'm going. Now God will help you with this. Do you know why? Because he desires more to meet with you than we will ever be able to desire to meet with him. But Jesus was very aware of this issue about location. In Matthew 6.6 we read, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I want you to notice he says when you pray. It's not an if in there. Okay? It's not if you pray, go to your room. It's when you pray, go to your room. What he's saying is this shouldn't be in public, it shouldn't be for show. He's not actually talking against meeting together for prayer. But what he's saying is, you know, there are certain things that we can just get on and do on our own. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. There is a huge reward in prayer. And when you spend time with God... He goes ahead of you in your day. He fixes those problems that you're going to encounter before you get there. He answers prayer. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote one day in his journal, I was so busy today, I had to spend an extra hour in prayer. I've got so much to do today, I need to spend even more time praying. It's a contradiction to our logic. But actually, spiritually, it makes perfect sense. Because if you spend spend longer praying, the things will go easier for you during the day, and you will achieve more. But Jesus wasn't saying, the only place to pray is your room. If we look at his example, he often went out to pray. In Mark 1.35 it says, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In Luke 5.16 it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In Luke 22, 38 to 41, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Jesus went out as usual. Sounds like it was a favourite place of his. He had a favourite place he liked to go to pray. Time matters. Location matters. And finally, I think the way we pray matters. Firstly, there are two basic ways in which all believers can pray. In 1 Corinthians 14, 14, it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Do you know, there's people who say, I'm I'm not going to touch this tongue stuff. I don't understand it. Well, actually, the truth is there in 1 Corinthians 14, 14. We're not supposed to understand it. And Paul then continues and he says, so what should I do? I pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I'll sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. What's the difference? Paul is clearly talking about praying with the help of the Holy Spirit in tongues. So we can paraphrase that bit by saying, well, I will pray in tongues and I'll pray in words I understand as well. So why does he say pray in tongues? I don't know about you, but I have some days when I get up and I just don't feel that spiritual. Is that just me or do other people have that too? Yeah, it's fairly common I think I don't feel that spiritual I don't feel I really know what I should be praying for now it's not because of sin particularly but somehow I just feel stuck on the ground I can't quite get off the ground particularly in the mornings I feel this Somehow, I know I need to get airborne, but I can't. Now, if you watch nature programs, now and then you see pictures where there are swans or bigger geese trying to take off. And you see them, and they start flapping and flapping and flapping, but they can't quite get off the water. And it almost looks for a while as though they're running along the water because their legs are going as well. And they run, and they run, and they flap, and they flap. And you actually wonder for a moment if they're ever going to get off the ground. And then they do. I sometimes find that's where tongues helps me. Somehow if you start praying in tongues, It lifts your spirit. It gets you ready for takeoff. A little bit more, just a little bit more, and then I'm away. Paul said, I will pray with my spirit and with my understanding, with my mind. In 1 Corinthians 14.2 it says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. When we speak in tongues, we're speaking in a language by our spirit to God. It is a direct line. It bypasses everything else. We don't understand it. The people around us don't understand it. Scripture says that the demons and angels don't either. But it speaks directly to the heart of God. And God hears it, he listens to it, and he answers it. And sometimes we'll see the answer to a prayer that we don't even know we've prayed. It says in verse 4, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. As we pray in tongues, we're built up, we're edified, we're recharged. How much do you need a recharge? Do you ever see fellow Christians and feel that even if you plugged them into the mains for eight hours overnight, it wouldn't be enough because they are just so dry and need to be soaked in the Spirit? Paul says, I'm going to do both. I'm going to pray in tongues and I'm going to pray with my mind. The Bible says we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. And you know, all too often we end up worshipping him just with our voice. Actually, we should be lifting our whole body as a sacrifice in worship. So we've talked a bit how we can pray with our spirits, but how should we pray with our minds? How do we pray with understanding? Prayer is two-way communication with God. It's not about speaking in a funny voice. It's not about using special words. It's not a time to pretend we're something we're not. Prayer is not a formula. It's actually a relationship. It's a relationship with God the Father. We can come before him, and we need to come before him. We come before him with reverence, because he's God. But we can also come before him with boldness and intimacy and reality, because he is our Father. Now to help us pray with understanding, there's a number of things that help us. The Bible. You can pray the word of God. Particularly, pray out the declarations and promises. John 20, peace be with you. Thank you, Father, that I know your peace in my heart. I pray for your peace to be demonstrated everywhere I go today, throughout my work and my life. There are particular prayers in the Bible we can pick out and pray. There's Moses' prayer. What better, what better prayer could we pray out than the one of Moses where he said, Oh, show us your glory, Lord. Show us your glory. Show us your glory, Lord, today. Show it, show it when we meet together in our midweek groups. What about the prayer of Jabez? Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain you would bless me Lord if you're really stuck look at Paul's prayers in Ephesians 1 Ephesians 3, Philippians 1 Corinthians 1 the way he just lifts people up and extols them but I think there's a foundational way that we're to pray and in some ways I'm coming back to this rosary Because when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray, he did. He taught them what we colloquially call the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that we should repeat it by rote. But when they asked him, he said, this then is how you should pray. Now if Jesus came and stood here today, and we said to him, come on, teach us how to pray. And he said, okay then, here's a quick lesson on how you should pray. Would we want to listen? I would. The good news is, he's already given us that lesson. It's there, it's in God's word. But we flounder and fail because we haven't been taught how to pray it. What we're often taught in our younger years is how to recite it. And so over the next few times that, we're gonna, that I'm preaching, we're going to unpack the model of prayer that Jesus gave us. And we're going to learn how to pray it. The next time I'm preaching, we'll look at our Father who art in heaven. We'll look at how we can get into God's presence every time we come to him to pray. And then in future weeks we'll look at, hallowed be your name. How to use God's name in prayer. Your kingdom come as it is in heaven. We'll look at how to pray for God's purposes to break into our lives, our family, our church and our nation. Give us this day our daily bread. We'll look at how to pray for God's ongoing provision. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. It's all about how we receive God's pardon. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. It's about how to live in God's protection. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Brings us out of our prayer times, ready to bring praise and worship to God forever and ever. Are you up for the challenge? We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.